in the not too distant future. Following the rapid succession of World Wars 3 and 4, plus the hidden horrors of secret World War 2, there's not much left. All that remains is a place where folks get together to read and discuss comic books. Sometimes they laugh, sometimes they argue, but they always record and upload their transmissions. You've found one of those transmissions today. Welcome to the last comic shop. from the dark room mr jameson fresh from the dark room i got some photos what these aren't good photos these are back page at best this brand this brand look but mr mr jameson it's 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 spider-man and he's fighting the last comic shop look he's i got my automatic camera i set it up for you why is peter parker sound like he's like a Ten-year-old yeah. kid. What happened to you, <laughs> Peter Parker? Bit by a radioactive ten-year-old. Yeah, so, it's like yeah. Peter Parker meets Jimmy Olsen meets a paper boy. <laughs> Anyways, it's the last comic shop. We didn't fight Spider-Man, but we are talking about Spider-Man on this, this on today's program. Right from the Spider-Man in name only, but he's it's in right. there. He's not. It's not even the real Spider-Man because at the time it was actually the Doc Ock Spider-Man. <laughs> but whatever. I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson. I've got J.A. Scott and Chad Smith to help me out with this review of the Superior Foes of Spider-Man. And it was done by Nick Spencer and Steve Lieber. Uh, we've already done a, a Steve Lieber book on this on this show, but we've not done Nick Spencer yet. So this will be awesome for all of our Nick Spencer fans out there, or soon-to-be Nick Spencer fans if you've never read. We've also, never done a Spider-Man Steve- book either. And, I, well, we're not really doing one, I guess. <laughs> we're still not. Yeah. We did do Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man, but even then, it was only a half of a Spider-Man book. We have to eventually get around to a Spider-Man book, I guess, uh, like a real maximum one. carnage, right? Oh. No, please, no. Our, our viewers will love it. That would get massive ratings. Maybe we'll do that when when the Venom movie comes out. We'll do oh. Maximum Carnage as our read pile. We'll put that out as a poll. And if, if, if there's enough votes, we'll do it around that time. Real quickly, Chad, if there was going to be another Amazing Spider-Man book that you would do on our particular program, what would it be? Oh, there's so many. I would love to do the Eric Larson Return of the Sinister Six. Oh, and it's follow up in the adjectiveless Spider Man book where Spider Man gets his cybernetic eye and all that other craziness. Now, that was the summertime event. I, I remember at the time I was like, they're going to make me buy two issues a month. I hate these bi monthlies. Little did I know that would be come back to bite me in the ass later on with, with triple shipping. But, anyways. <laughs> Uh, J.A. Scott, what's a Spider-Man book you would like to read on this show? I wouldn't mind revisiting uh, Spider-Man Torment, the first five Todd McFarlane Spider-Man issues, just to see if it still holds up. I'd want to know, I want to know if it holds up or not. You yeah. like all the worst stories? <laughs> Todd McFarlane writing Spider-Man was terrible! Torment was better than that second story with uh, Wendigo and the... Wendigo! And, and all that stuff happening in Canada and the child abuse or whatever. I don't even know what was going on in that. I just know I shouldn't have been reading it. I was just buying it for the covers. I was like, this is awful. <laughs> the Go issues ahead. with Hobgoblin. Did you have the issue with Hobgoblin with all the writing on the page? And it's like, what the hell's going on, Tom McFarlane? <laughs> We're just buying this for the pictures. Get all the letters off of it. Nobody cares about Spider-Man going out in the sewers and fighting Mobius. Maybe we'll do that for our Mobius show. I don't know. Next year when Mobius finally comes out. The back in black stories. They they were awful as well. I mean, mean, you guys listen to all these bad books. If I was going to pick a uh, Spider-Man book that I actually haven't read yet, it would be uh, Spider-Man Spirits of the Earth. All that Charles Vest stuff. That looks awesome. Like, that is some very, very interesting art, and it was about the same time as everyone was doing the Tom McFarlane's and the Eric Larson's, and everything was looking the same. This was all kind of like watercolors and like dreamlike, super neat stuff. I don't know what happens in it, but I want to read it because that art and that cover, especially where he's like on top of the broken building, that's super iconic. I want to read it. Spider Man yeah. in Scotland. It sounds Ooh, I... great to me. How about Craven's Last Hunt? 
Well, I mean, eventually we're going to have to read that. Like, that's that's kind of like a no-brainer. That's a classic. Yeah, right. that's a good one. But uh, speaking of, like, Craven's Last Hunt and Spider-Man baddies, because we're talking about the superior foes of Spider-Man and the fact that Spider-Man has the best rogues gallery in comic books, at least in my opinion, uh, who are the most superior members of the foes of Spider-Man. Not talking about the jobbers and D-listers we'll be talking about today, but who is actually the best Spider-Man villain out there? And we'll start off with our Spider-Man aficionado, Chad Smith. Uh, for me, it's always going to be the Green Goblin. Um, and it goes back and forth between Norman and Harry and Norman and Harry. I will dig Nick Spencer a little bit for the most recent storyline he's done where he's made Harry into kindred. And uh, that's done. But uh, no, Norman Osborn is the one. There was so much pathos there when he knew Spider-Man's identity. But, oh, he has amnesia. Oh, he's not going to remember. Oh, he's the Spider-Man's worst villain. But he's also the father of his friend. Oh, let's have dinner. Oh, it's weird. Oh. <laughs> so socially awkward. It was the best. And it tied so well into all the, the teenage drama that was going on in the Spider-Man books at the time. And from there, the, the Green Goblin's just one of those villains that had that menace, but also that personal connection that uh, some characters have gotten close over the years, most notably Dr. Octopus. I mean, he did almost marry Aunt May. But uh, at the end of the day, Norman Osborn and uh, the Green Goblin. Okay. Uh, favorite Green Goblin story? Spider-Man 39 and 40. Okay. The first John Romita issues. You know, where they discover each other's identities. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, it's either that or the death of Gwen Stacy or the drug issues. The drug issues are pretty good. They, they hold up. Uh, J.A., who's your best Spider-Man villain? I almost want to go Craven just for his killer fashion sense. <laughs> Anyone who wears a vest that shoots laser beams is just, you know, pretty cool. And I haven't uh, made you read Squirrel Girl yet, J.A., with the Craven. Oh, yeah? It has his image painted on the side. It's the best. And I do like sort of those transitional characters like Black Cat. I was going to put at the top. But, I mean, I think you still have to knock her down a little bit. I mean, she's not in the same league as Doc Octopus or Green Goblin or my favorite, Hobgoblin. Oh, Yeah. I got tired of the whole Harry Osborn, Norman Osborn, Green Goblin, the bad, good, they're bad again, they're good again, they're bad again. Hobgoblin was like, this is Green Goblin stories as they should have been told. It was even created because they wanted to do a Green Goblin story, but they didn't want to get into the whole Harry Osborn and Norman Osborn or bring them back again, so they just made a new one. It's got all the good parts of Green Goblin and none of that other crap. Until the 90s. That's true. Yeah, Jason Mackendale took over, and then you got the Demon Goblin and all that other garbage. Yeah, that was awful. Much better costume. I do like the hood and the little cape. Like, that does kind of add some menace, especially when you would see the red eyes peering out from, like, the black face. Like, that was kind of menacing. Plus, it gave us some great issues, like my favorite issue from the Tom McFarlane run, The Goblin War, where you got Harry, like, putting on the Green Goblin stuff to fight the Jason McIndale Hobgoblin. I loved that issue growing up. Yeah, but was it as cool as when the Green Goblin, Harry Osborn, teamed up with Spider-Man and Molten Man for two or three issues of Web of Spider-Man? I don't think Uh, so. That's true. Well, you're both wrong. I mean, the (laughs) best Spider-Man villain of all time is, is Mysterio. That just, I'm not going to take any ifs, ands, or buts on that. Mysterio, old bullhead, he's the guy that you really got to watch out for because, like, he is the best looking of all of them. The Green Goblin, he's running around in, like, I don't know, pink tunic with little tiny shorts. The it's Doc purple. Ock, it, whatever. Doc Ock had an awful costume because it was pretty much, like, overalls for a long time until he got that green spandex, which was stupid, too. And what was going on with those glasses? Stupid look. The only person that even looks even close to Mysterio is Electro, and we all know that Mysterio is a better character than Electro. Electro is, like, one step away from being on the superior foes of Spider-Man, for God's sakes. And he got a great movie! 
I thought he actually really worked as a, as a character, not only, you know, pretending to be the good guy and then ultimately being the bad guy, that ultimate illusion. Um, it, it was just really a, a neat uh, spin on the character, and I, I loved it. So, yeah, Mysterio, that's the way to go. He's the best. I tell you, my favorite uh, Spider-Man uh, villain turned hero turned back to villain. I don't know if there's a villain. No, he's, he's pretty much a hero now. Was the Prowler. Yeah. Boy, did I love the look of the Prowler. Yeah. Didn't have a single issue that was good, but he had an awesome look. To mm. What? what are you, who is he? He's like the villain Spider-Man. He's like Spider-Man's pal. Every single time the Prowler showed up, I was like, all right, this is a throwaway issue. He would hang out with Rocket Racer and that guy, that weird guy that had the sun. Will of the Wisp. Oh, there Will you go. Will of the Wisp and the rest for- of the Wild Pack. I Silver thought you were going with Big Wheel for a minute. Yes, and, and Silver Sable and all those people that I didn't care about. That's that's what Prowler hangs out with. He's he's like one step up from Puma. <laughs> oh, Puma. That's a deep cut. <laughs> Maybe on another show we'll do worst Spider-Man villains. But we've got the superior foes of Spider-Man by Nick Spencer and Steve Lieber coming up right after these messages. Your review of this comic book. Stay tuned. Hey, I'm Ashley. And I'm Maggie. We're from Rock Candy Podcast. Kind of like behind the music, except unauthorized and drunk. But come along every week and listen to us talk about artists or albums that you may know really well or may have never heard of while we're drinking beers. Witty things to talk about. Great hot takes with some hot babes. (laughs) That's subjective, but okay. (laughs) So go find us on Apple Podcasts. Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and wherever you catch your pods. And with that, party party on, kids! kids. Well, that sounded forced. Is it not? Looking for a podcast all about nerddom? Want a podcast with an emphasis on representation? The Nerd Alternative is the podcast for you. Join me, Ram. Me, Hassan. And me, Levi. Three black British nerds tackling the pop culture we love and sharing why we love them. The Nerd Alternative, a sweet melting pot of all things nerdy. Back with more of the last comic shop and it is now time for our comic book review. Yes, the Read Pile Review that we are oftentimes famous for, sometimes infamous for. Regardless of whether you like it or you don't like it, we have it on every single show. So get used to it. This week, again, as I mentioned, we're going to be doing the Superior Foes of Spider-Man, all 17 issues of this particular series that was done by who, Chad? Okay, so the big names to know are Nick Spencer and Steven Lieber. Uh, They, along with Rochelle Rosenberg and Joe Caramagna, cover the majority of the issues, but there were some fill-ins featuring uh, talents like James Asmus, Tom Pyre, uh, Elliot Kalin as writers. And other illustrators like Rich Ellis, who also contributed uh, additional spots here. Uh, but Gerardo Sandoval, Carmen Nunez Camaro, Andres Mosa, Nuno Pilati, Sia Um, Pepe Larraz, and Will Sliney. Ah. Yeah, it was right around uh, the Superior Spider-Man era where Dr. Octopus had taken over Spider-Man's brain and started really assaulting his criminals. <laughs> and so this book spins out of that. Yes, everybody was afraid of Spider-Man. It was it was one of the again one of the times I stopped reading Spider-Man as a fan. Really Spider-Man angry. shot a guy, right? And I didn't like any of it. So I can remember telling Chad at the time that I was really angry that there was like a thousand Spider-Man books out there and none of them featured Peter Parker at all. And I thought that was like blasphemy i was boycotting all spider-man at that point and they you know had, what i told enough. you i said hang in there they'll fix this in a year or so plus the superior spider-man was the best dan slot spider-man because he wasn't writing peter parker i mean he was in there he was kind of like a, a ghost or whatever but uh, it was the one time he couldn't screw up peter parker yeah that's true he didn't make him a multi-millionaire Tony Stark ripoff. I know that much for sure. Which, why would any Peter Parker date Mockingbird? I just, I, I don't, und- <laughs> I don't know. That was the weirdest part about that. Mockingbird of all, no, nah, not, not hook him back up with Felicia Hardy, not hook him up with any of the other thousands of folks that Peter Parker's been with. We're going to give him Bobby Morse because that makes Even sense. Spider-Woman. Why, why not Spider-Woman? Yeah. I mean, 
if you're gonna do one of those wacky, you know, I don't know. She's a super spy. She has like spy things. She could have fit in that role. Nah, Bobby Morris. Let's give him Hawkeye sloppy seconds. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Any case, uh, what does make sense to me is the 10 cents an option. And hopefully it'll make sense to you by the time I get done with it. So the 10 cent synopsis of the 17 issues of the Superior Foes of Spider-Man is you get to find out about the lives of the Spider-Man jobbers. As you might know in wrestling terminology, a jobber is a guy that takes a lot of falls. He is the guy that's set up to lose and make other people look better. In this case, Spider-Man. Over the years, there have been a certain subset of uh, Spider-Man baddies that are kind of like that lower tier. Folks like Boomerang and our quilted friend, the Shocker. Folks like the original Beetle, although he doesn't show up in this as the Beetle, he shows up in this as Mach 7, Mach 8, I think. 7, yeah. Uh, but the new Beetle shows up in this series, as well as Speed Demon and uh, Overdrive, who's kind of a new uh, character to the illustrious uh, fraternity. And ultimately, at the end of the day, they decide to not become the Sinister Syndicate, as you might know from great 90s series like Deadly Foes of Spider-Man. No, no, they decide to be the Sinister Six because they're five. I... Anyways, <laughs> long story short, this is a really a story about Boomerang, though. Honestly, he's your protagonist throughout these 17 issues. It's really a story about Boomerang's original fall from grace, from being a pitcher to being basically a bullseye wannabe, uh, a guy that's never really got his time to shine, that's always playing catch-up, kind of a schemer, a scoundrel. Uh, a screw-up. Yeah, yes. He's not a scoundrel. I think calling him a scoundrel is giving him too much credit. That's true. <laughs> He's the world's worst crime boss. Right. But he's trying to lead his team on a variety of different capers from to originally get uh, legendary Silvermane's head and, and to then eventually getting a painting of Dr. Doom in which you can actually see his real face that was done in like, I don't know, a Titanic kind of paint me like, like one of your French girls. <laughs> yeah. Glorious. But, but by the end of it, Boomerang double-crosses everyone, triple-crosses some other folks, Owl shows up, Hammerhead shows up, all these kind of weird characters that are not the main Spider-Man baddies. You do not get Dr. Octopus in this. Well, you kind of sort of do because he's Spider-Man. But you don't get other folks like you don't get Craven, you don't get Mysterio, you don't get Green Goblin or Hobgoblin or any of the guys we talked about on the first segment of this show. It's surprising you don't get Electro. I still think he belongs in this kind of tier. But yeah, that's pretty much what it is, being bad guys and what the bad guy life is like. The bad guy support groups where you get uh, a nice cameo by Dr. Bong. Yes. <laughs> the greatest part about the supervillain support group for me is the fact that it reintroduced Grizzly, which actually is a huge, huge part of another great Nick Spencer run, his Ant-Man run, where you get basically Ant-Man teaming up with Grizzly to start, like, a security firm or something like that. And they're with, what, Machine Smith? That should be my recommendation for today's program. But we'll see. I've got some other ideas. But, yeah, this is Chad's pick. Chad, why did you pick it for this week? Uh, just because sometimes it's nice to go back to the classics. It's nice to go back to some of that comfort food. Uh, and we were talking about this at the time this came out. This was, uh, you know, at the heart of Dan Slott and his Spider-Man run. And uh, I've gone on record as saying I'm sure uh, Dan Slott is a, a fine person, maybe. Uh, but I was not a fan of his Spider-Man. And so even though Superior was, was some of the best that he put out there, this book was going on simultaneously, and it was so much better. Like, I cared so much more about these characters than anything going on in the main Spider-Man book. And then Nick Spencer was a revelation just in terms of how funny he was, the way that characters pee their pants when the Punisher shows up. Yeah! And, you know, that's like the ultimate worst thing is when the Punisher comes because he's not playing around. The other superheroes, you might lose a tooth or something, but Punisher, you're donezo. I love the head of Silvermane just being a crotchety old man. And like, ah, I hope this guy has cable so we can watch Bones. I don't <laughs> miss my episode of Bones. Like, 
<laughs> that was great. So I like the skeezy uh, boomerang take or trying to go out on dates, you know, and lying to this girl to impress her the entire time. And then when uh, Bullseye or an LMD of Bullseye shows up, he's, you know, puts her in front of him first. He's like, I know you like to kill girlfriends, Bullseye, but don't <laughs> kill this one. There's a power behind. <laughs> Throws great. the boomerang at Bullseye and he dodges it. And then you see it coming back, about to hit him oh, in the yeah. back of the head. He just steps in and closes the door. <laughs> yeah, Boomerang's like so good. Himself up. Yeah. No wonder he's he, the best. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, Chad, you almost convinced me. You you pulled out all these great bits, and the writing was good in some respects, and and you're right on everything. But I I just can't. I can't do it, man. <laughs> it's 17 issues of pointlessness. Who wants to read about random jabronis? If you're going to have a 17-issue arc, write it about a character I care about. Because that was the be- the biggest thing is I came to the end of this and I couldn't have cared less. <laughs> it was really good writing. It was funny. I loved lots of bits of it. But I just didn't care about the characters at all. You didn't fall in love with Fred Myers, who in the first issue especially, I thought he was drawn like uh, Bill Burke. You didn't fall in love whenever uh, Mach 7 would try to leave... And that bag uh, wings got stuck every time. Yeah. It was just over the top. What it did remind me of, and I think they played with it a bit, was A, how bad these characters are, and B, how bad their costumes are. Like, who created these costumes? They probably made sense in the moment when they were made, but you put them all together. It's like they went to the Rent-A-Tux place and got the worst... <laughs> villain costumes they could find this is like this is you know what it is it's nerd prom for bad guys well and i will say this that they missed out on a golden opportunity throughout this entire series not to bring up the original boomerang costume because they show the one that we all know like the blue and purple one with the boomerangs on the chest and the head but nobody remembers the first time that boomerang shows up in an issue of hulk and he's got basically i don't know like red bubble wrap all all over himself he looks disgusting he looks like the he has the measles it's the Ooh. worst costume i've ever seen anybody wear and they missed out because that is fred myers too everybody thinks of him as a spider-man baddie but he showed up for the first time in the incredible hulk and tried to capture the incredible hulk for some bizarre reason for the secret empire Believe it or not, that's where the whole notion of the robe guys come up. When he's like, "Is this a sex thing?" <laughs> I won't lie. It's still my, one of my favorite lines in that. That and Silvermane riding around on the little RC car. That 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 just makes it for me. <laughs> I I can't lie. I, th- this question's for JA, and and I know this might not be the case, but I want him to defend himself just in case people are out there are thinking this. Do, could you not get into these characters because they were bad guys? No, I don't think it was that, because, you know, we, we read that Joker book and, and better criminals, better characters with more characterization to them and, and bigger histories are interesting. They're jobbers because they're jobbers. They're just not interesting as characters that much as well. I, okay. I, that's, See, I disagree. I, I thought they were interesting because they were jobbers. Oh, and they're pointing I don't know. out all the jobber flaws. Like it takes one to know one. And when Hammerhead shows up, you're like, "Oh, so you, I thought you weren't doing the James Cagney thing anymore." <laughs> and like they cut to the quick on all of these characters, and like, "Oh, shocker, he's our coward." Like that was great. I mean, I won't lie that like I, I'm actually very surprised, Jay, because you're you, you've been a big fan of like movies like Reservoir Dogs over the years, and 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 I thought there were aspects of least of this where it's like. You know, these are the lovable losers. These are the guys that don't get the the cred, but like basically, you know, punching the supervillain time clock day in and day out to try to make quick buck here and there. And it's kind of sometimes neat to hear about those those folks that don't get to the lofty heights. You know, they it makes them more human in some ways. I mean, I, I had difficulty at points because every single time I wanted to care about Boomerang. He ended up being a real jerk. And I was just like, eventually, (laughs) it's really hard to care and relate to somebody when they constantly are a jerk. Like, I've seen things in which, you know, the criminal is the protagonist or whatever. But at some point, they have some sort of redeeming thing where you're like, yeah, all right, he's lovable. I like him. Honestly, Fred was just a douche at times. And I was just like, I I don't know about him. You root for him in spite of who he is, uh, the, I feel. And 
I'll also say his fashion sense has gotten better. I really like the newer costume, especially compared to the blue and purple one. And I didn't even know about that red and white one. That was just terrible. (laughs) Well, I will say this. I mean, my initial thought about this is I enjoyed it. This is not the first time that I've read these 17 issues. Honestly, the biggest flaw with this series for me is that it's too long. This is a 12-part series at most. And it has like basically five issues of filler that are sometimes unnecessary. Sure, you get one issue that's okay. You know, the origin of the new Beetle. I understand that. It's kind of neat how she steals all that that other little girl's uh, (laughs) presence in that. And then Tombstone's like, many years later, it's the anniversary of your first hike, darling. And and, and he's actually a really good dad. Like, it, it warmed my heart. Like, I actually felt for Tombstone. But um, I, there were other issues that were like legitimately, I, I had no idea why they were there. There was the one, the supervillain support group where they were talking about the new Spider-Man and how he's beating people up and how they were scared of him. And I think that was just a tie-in. But at the same time, I was like, well, I don't think it's necessary. And, and there were a couple other ones I thought that were like that, that you could have shortened this and made it a little more digestible by cutting a couple issues out. And I, I don't think I ding Nick Spencer for that. Maybe that was what he was told to do. Like, he's like, we have 17 issues. You're going to write this. And they had to put some fillers in. But at the same time, I think that's sometimes the problem with comic books overall is that you have this story. It works for a certain amount of time. And eventually you have to stretch. Yeah, I I think you can definitely tell uh, when there were the fill-in issues. I want to say it was like like issue 11. The story basically stops and they start going into all these things. But yeah, it fits within that boomerang character to do one or two schemes too many to the point of obnoxiousness. Like there are too many twists and too many uh, things. But I, I thought it all fit. Well, I'm glad that you brought up the a few two moves too many kind of situation because there was a question that I had for J.A. in terms of the fact that he wasn't, you know, into this book as much. I'm sure that for folks that have read this and have listened to previous shows, uh, there are a lot of similarities between this particular book and another Marvel book we covered a couple of weeks ago in Hawkeye Freefall. I mean, you really loved Hawkeye Freefall. What was the difference between Hawkeye Freefall in this book? Editing. Okay. When it comes to Hawkeye Freefall was a tight six-issue run that was setting up something else, potential, and then, you know, they didn't go through with it. This is just too long. I think you're right. They could have cut it down to 12, could have cut it down to 10, probably. You know, like, the issue where Bullseye comes in, like, another one? How many characters are you going to throw into this story that show up for you know half an issue for no reason other than you didn't need that it didn't progress the story any farther it just showed you what a dick boomerang was uh, i was just like that 17 issues is too many issues for me to be spending time with these jobbers it, it was like being forced to watch reruns of grace under fire wow <laughs> Uh, you've got to back that up. You can't just bring Grace into, under fire here. It's like a, a 1990s sitcom that everyone kind of remembers, but you probably never watched. And then you watch an episode, and you're like, oh, wow, that's not nearly as good as I thought it was. But the writing's okay. All right. I think you did hit a nail on the head. I mean, I, I'm going to ding you a little bit on not liking, you know, all the superfluous characters that show up. Because Hawkeye Freefall was, like, covered in that. Mm. Like every single superhero under the sun that was a street level character shows up at some point in Hawkeye Freefall. So you can't use that as an argument. But I think to your point about it being a little too long, a little too drawn out, that Hawkeye Freefall is a very tight six issue arc that kind of ends having you want more. I I think works. And I won't lie that the first time I read Superior Foes, I only read the first trade and it really did make me want to read more. I think it's ultimately in reading all 17 that I kind of went, well, you know, there are a couple issues that stuck out that maybe shouldn't have been in there and and could have made for a tighter story. And I I think the big difference is to stick up for J.A. the fact that in Hawkeye Freefall, uh, Hawkeye's trying to do good. He's just real bad at it. <laughs> Whereas here, like Fred Myers is a scumbag, but he's also really bad at being a scumbag. Like even in his dreams, he's trying to imagine his girlfriend topless, you know, 
And that doesn't work. It's in his dreams. I don't know. I, I just love the way that he's foiled at every turn by all of this crazy stuff. And and have we talked enough about the head of Silvermane? Head we of have Silvermane. not. Between him and the Shocker, who doesn't have any confidence, and Silvermane, who's just keeps calling him the Sprinkler. Like, that was great. Makes fun of his outfits. <laughs> and it's sad, too, because ultimately, if there was a, a, a character that I enjoyed the most in this book, other than Silvermane, it was the Shocker, actually. For as much as I disliked Fred at times, I actually felt for the Shocker. Because the Shocker was kind of like, you know, oh, I used to be a an engineer. And, you know, he's actually a fairly well-known Spider-Man villain. Of all the characters that show up there, I think more people would know the Shocker more than anybody else. And the fact it's that he true. doesn't really want to be a supervillain and he kind of went down this road and, you know, and he lacks a lot of confidence and he's a, kind of a little bit of a coward... I think that is much more believable yeah. and much more human than any other person that you get in this, honestly. And, and you know, fair warning, don't mock the Shocker. Because <laughs> he's going to come at you in his Shocker Spidey-mobile. And I love the scene where he's, like, he's working out the trajectory with using his... I mean, the guy's smart. Built his own tech. Like, he's actually pretty badass when you think of it. So... Maybe that was a missing opportunity, was not spending a little more time with the Shocker. And I did enjoy those issues more than anything else. They they kind of reminded me a little more of what we would have got with Ant-Man eventually, where it's like, yeah, I like you. You're, you're likable, Shocker. You know, I enjoy your presence. One last thing that uh, this series brought to my attention was the art of Steve Lieber and how funny and how expressive his art can be. You know, he had been in the industry since the early 90s. And, you know, I've seen his work before, but this was like, oh, wait, this is really good. This yes. is really expressive and so fun. You know, where had this been the entire time? Right. And I, I enjoy uh, basically all the, the, the cameos that he gets to draw. Like, I love his Luke Cage and his uh, Danny Rand. I think they're great. I love just the scene where Overdrive is like fawning over Luke Cage as like a fanboy. Oh my gosh, you're you're Luke Cage. Can I get your and, and Luke Cage is basically like, ah, this is making me r- real uncomfortable. And Danny's like, he's he's paying you a compliment, man. Like just just take it. Oh, it's making me uncomfortable. I don't know what to do with this. Well, that was also after he flattened him with a steel chair pro wrestling stock. <laughs> Right. So anyways, we'll be right back with more of the last comic chart right after these messages. We're going to get our ratings for the Superior Foes of Spider-Man. Will they be superior? Stay tuned. Hi, everyone. I'm Nick Palatichuk. I'm an independent film director and screenwriter. I'm also an independent comic book artist and creator. I want to let you know about my podcast, The St. Paul Filmcast. It's a weekly podcast where I interview other independent filmmakers and other artists from the Twin Cities area. You can find the show on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon Radio, as well as distributor Podbean. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So, if you're interested in how independent films get made or the process of filmmaking, also, if you're interested in other artists' process and works as well, Tune into my show, the St. Paul Filmcast, where it's not over till the guests say it's over. All right, we're back with more of the last comic shop, and it is now time for our ratings, where we tell Nick Spencer and Steve Lieber, "Hey, we got a one out of four scale, and you made this comic book, and you worked really hard on it." And that's great, but as semi-critics, we reserve the right to assign numerical value to it, sir. That's right. We're from the internet. We can do what we want. We are superior to you in some ways. (laughs) Or we're those lousy jobbers that you wrote, you know, comic books about. Probably more of the, 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 the layer. So... In any case, uh, the one out of four scale is going to be what this week, J.A.? One out of four boomerangs. Hey! I like it. Make sure you don't shut the door on those. In any case, we've got uh, J.A. Scott. He's going to start off our ratings. So how many boomerangs are you giving it, buddy? Are they coming back? So 
Some of them come back, not all of them. I'd say it's uh, four bu- boomerangs thrown and like two and a half boomerangs returned. So <laughs> but two, it's, I'm, I'm between two and a half and three. I think it was a little bit too long. It could have been edited down to a, a more succinct story. It is not a comic for people who don't know the characters. I think you get more enjoyment out of the series if you've been reading Spider-Man or if you've been reading Marvel for a while because – some of those cameos are really fun if you recognize the characters, like Dr. Bong. If you don't know who they are, they don't carry as much weight, and, and they're not as interesting. That being said, the art is beautiful, the dialogue is funny and witty, though I, I got sick of all the swearing that's not swearing. That, that got old. I, I know why they did it, but I was just like, you know, do it PG-13 and swear once. <laughs> It, yeah, it, it, it was kind of. It's like it's like watching those movies where they're about to swear and they cut to the next scene so they they can get away with not swearing. <laughs> like like watching Major League on USA. Strike this guy out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I say, forget you, Joe Boo. <laughs> okay, Chad. Since it was your pick, what's uh, your rating? Oh, I love it. I love the whole thing. I think it's beautiful. I love the the pacing. And we mentioned about uh, Mach 7 and how they set up the gag perfectly, where every time he tries to make the cool exit, he gets stuck in the doorway. Except the last time when he remembers he's about to leave the restaurant. He's like, nope, got to lower my wings, fold them in a little bit. And he gets out the door and uh, turns around, smacks a blind guy right in the head. (laughs) It was great. They spent all that time setting it up and it paid off. It's, it's all about the little things. You know, it was about Shocker gaining his confidence. It was about Speed Demon bringing the dog back to the little girl and then going back and bringing the food back and the, the leash. And it was about getting to know Janice Lincoln, the new Beetle, who I think is a really great addition to the Spider-Man rogues gallery. And like we said, the art is beautiful. Steve Lieber has that style of cartooning that is super expressive super clear and clean and he knows how to tell a story and i alluded to his pacing earlier like everything here is just great fun comics and this hit at a time for me when i really needed something fun and this filled that void uh, perfectly so yeah four out of four boomerangs there you go all right, well, uh, I think I'm going to split the difference between the 4 and the 2.75. Uh, I think I'm going to go with just a solid 3. 3 boomerangs for this particular book. It would have been 4 had it been about 12 issues. I do think that there is some filler here. And I'm not just talking about the actual filler issues. I'm thinking some of the uh, issues actually could have been trimmed down in terms of actual plot. I think there was a little too much running around at times, and some of the best moments kind of get lost in the shuffle as a result. Like, do you, I mean, honestly, do you really need the relationship between Boomerang and the, and, and the girl, even though she ends up being Black Cat in the end? I don't know if you do. It plays off the chameleon and the people being who they aren't and all that other... It is true, but at the end of the day, I, I think that it, had it been a little tighter... At 12 issues, it definitely been a four out of four. And I think that, you know, from my experience, again, I enjoy the Ant-Man series a lot more because I feel it was tighter uh, as an overall series than what you got with uh, Superior Foes of Spider-Man. Only almost like uh, Nick Spencer took some of what he learned with uh, Superior Foes and took it to the Ant-Man and made even better work. That's the way that I kind of sort of look at it. But also, you know, it's interesting because this book is one of the first books I can remember as really feeling metafictional to me. Uh, this is a book about making fun of supervillains, especially supervillains that are ridiculous. And, you know, there's like this whole panel where all of those D-lister villains show up, you know, at the beck and call of the owl, like Man Mountain Marco and the fly and... <laughs> I think Bybeast is in that panel, which is weird because he's a really powerful Hulk villain. And again, I don't know why he's there, but whatever. He's there. And uh, basically, Nick Spencer's having fun saying, hey, look how ridiculous some of these supervillains are and how we shouldn't really take them seriously at all. So uh, for those folks that may not like that kind of stuff, this might not be your bag. 
you know, you might be like, oh, this cuts a little too to the too much to the quick. And I actually really like these characters, so I don't know why they're making fun of my my friends. Aww. For those who's people a that speed demon fan out there, <laughs> yeah, who's who who's not gonna laugh when you see Silvermane dressed up as Star Child from Kiss? Hey, Speed Demon was a member of the Squadron Supreme, so like, there's folks that are like the Squadron Supreme. They're they're reading that uh, that Heroes Reborn right now, so he might like that. I mean, I don't know. Whatever. In any case, uh, one thing that's never small on our show is recommendations. We try to make those as large as possible to cast that net out there to bring folks into that comic book tent by telling them about comic books they can pick up at their local comic book store in addition to the 17 issues of Superior Foes of Spider-Man, which you can get in trades or in single issues. Uh, I've seen them in buck bins, so pick some of them up in buck bins for shores. And on this show, we often do a current book, a similar book, and a book out of left field. And we're going to start this week with our good friend, J.A. Scott, who's got a out of left field pick, which is more than just out of left field. I think it's in the next county. Oh, yeah. So uh, we're going with the Marvel Inferno crossover, which was a company-wide crossover that took place in 1989. Wow! Uh, Did you get the Omnibus recently? Because they got that in Omnibus. No, but I might have to, because there's a lot of cool things that happened in this. I picked it because it's one of the first big storylines with Mr. Sinister, uh, one of my favorite X-Men sort of second-tier bad guys. It takes place, uh, you know, obviously all the mutant titles, Uncanny X-Men, X-Factor... Uh, Excalibur, New Mutants, essentially the story of Madeline Pryor becoming the Goblin Queen and uh, magic finally changing into Dark Child. Hobgoblin becomes a demon. Uh, written by Louise Simonson, Chris Claremont, Steve Englehart, Jerry Conway, David Michelini, Anne Nocenti, Walter Simonson, John Bogdanova. Terry Austin and Juliana Jones. So pretty much everybody that worked at Marvel in the eighties. <laughs> yes, I yes. love those crossovers. The Daredevil and Spider-Man issues across into that; those were great. That Goblin Works issue that I talked about earlier in the show, my favorite issue of the of the Hobgoblin. That's an Inferno crossover as well. It, and what I love is like you go through all this, and there's all this death and destruction, and then by the end, everyone's like. Well, wasn't that just a bad hallucination, man? I just had a bad trip. Wondering what Which is so gonna... classic with Marvel, right? They have this big, big crossover event. All this massive stuff happens. And then at the end of it, they're like, everything's yeah. back to normal. I Don't take the brown they... acid. I, I was wondering whether you were going to bring up the fact that leading up to that series, Cyclops is the biggest dick ever to Madeline Pryor, who had his kid. But it's like the moment that Jean Grey is like comes back, he's like, yeah, I don't know about you, Madeline Pryor. Like, I hate your guts. Uh, I'm going to leave you. And well, like that's, that's... she smacks him, punches him. And, and rightfully so, because she's just like treated like trash. It's awful how they treat Madeline Pryor in the issues leading up to this. Well, that's the thing that effectively broke Cyclops, because when Chris Claremont killed off Phoenix, he had no intention of bringing her back. They're like, oh, we're going to give Cyclops this happy ending. We'll bring this girl who looks just like Jean Grey and just make him go off with her. And so turning her into this goblin queen and this villain and like all the stuff that came after that, it's like, wait a minute, Cyclops, not a good dude. Right. And this is also, this is where you find out that uh, Madeline Pryor's the, the clone of Jean Grey by Mr. Sinister. And you get to all that Mr. Sinister really starting to play with his, you know, his genetics and, and, Messing up the X-Men. One that sweet summer's DNA. <laughs> Gotta get it. Got a Jones in for you. You got some of that summer's DNA. Ah, I can get you. I can get you next week. If just just a little taste, man. Just, yeah, just a little testers. Bit. Testers are out on the street. <laughs> All right. Well, my recommendation this week is going to be our similar book, and it is an interesting one because it's. Technically not a comic book, so I don't know if I'm going to get dinged, but it is a book that you can buy at many, many comic book stores because it is kind of like comic book adjacent. It's almost like a comic book reference book. It is The Legion of Regrettable Supervillains by John Morris. It is a fantastic little coffee table book that I highly recommend to all comic book fans out there if you just want to have 
good fun laughing at some of the crazy folks that have got to be supervillains in major comic books over the year. And boy, oh boy, do they've got everybody from the folks that we know for sure. Folks like Batrock the Leaper makes an appearance in this particular book. The Headman, who we talked about on our uh, Sensational She-Hulk book. Uh, the Hurly Gurly Man, Mr. Fish from Luke Cage if with the fish face. All of the gorilla-related bad guys that popped up in Silver Age books in the 60s at DC, such as the Gorilla Boss of Gotham City, the Gorilla Witch, King Krypton, and then, of course, you got Mandrill from Marvel. Gorillas sell comics. Everybody knows that. That's true. They, I think that was like a, a strategy at one point. Somebody had the strategy, put more gorillas in the books. That's what the kids like. They like the monkeys. <laughs> That's right. So much so that Stan Lee, whenever they licensed out Conan, was telling Roy Thomas to copy that strategy. And he wanted Conan fighting all these animals each week. Uh, and so they did that for a long time until they realized, wait a minute. Instead of animals, we could have them fight skeletons. So then Conan started fighting skeletons all the time because he got to move those papers. Absolutely. But if you wanted to ever hear about such wonderful characters as Uzi the Clown or Turner D. Century, or, I mean, Modoc shows up here. Uh, there's a wonderful Golden Age villain named The Dude. <laughs> which, again, I don't know if he drinks white Russians or not, but... Uh, it looks nothing like Jeff Bridges, but ultimately it's a fun book. And I think it's a wonderful uh, afternoon reader this time here in the summer. If you can find well, the Legion of Regrettable Supervillains, I think you'll have a good laugh. And plus, I love the fact that not only do you get like their first appearance, but you get their their major adversary. Like, for example, the dude was Bullet Man and Bullet Girl. The other characters that were in Captain Marvel's original universe, like from back when Fawcett owned Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Shazam. So, yeah, then we've got Chad with our uh, current pick, and it's I think it's fairly current. And it also has some kind of D-list villains in it. Right, Chad? Sure, sure. So initially I was thinking about recommending The Fix by Steve Lieber and Nick Spencer. But I know you guys wouldn't like that because you're all against bad guys being bad guys. That's about two crooked cops. So I'm going to go with a Nick Spencer book where it has a good guy. And it's the one Andy had talked about earlier. It is his run on Ant-Man, which included the Ant-Man series itself and the Astonishing Ant-Man where they rebooted it. The Ant-Man Last Days all sorts of things that started in 2015 and ran for a couple of years. But this was one of the, the best examples of the comic books piggybacking off the movie's success. Uh, because these came out post the Paul Rudd Ant-Man, and so they really tried to Paul Ruddify Scott Lang and turn him into yet another lovable loser uh, who teams up with Grizzly and Machine Smith to run a security company. He also meets up with Janice Lincoln, uh, who Nick Spencer is notorious for coming back to the superior foes. Boomerang just showed up in the Spider-Man book that he's been writing. But uh, the run on Ant-Man is great because you have those redemptive elements. You know, Ant-Man is a good guy trying to do good things and just screwing it up. And not nearly as bad as Hawkeye in the Free Fall series from Matthew Rosenberg. You know, Ant-Man is trying to do what's best for his family. He has his young daughter who's trying to protect and impress. It's just a really great story. It's really heartwarming. You can get the complete collection for a little over 35 bucks. I should mention the artist too. It's Nick Spencer is the writer. Ramon Rosanas was the primary artist in addition to a couple other folks, but it's definitely worth your time. If you enjoyed superior foes, give Ant-Man a try. There you go. And something you should always give a try to every single week is uh, more episodes of our podcast, which you can find out at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It has our tremendous little website where you can get all of our archived past episodes, and there are some real gems there. We just mentioned all that uh, Hawkeye Freefall talk. If you're new to our series and have not listened to our Hawkeye Freefall show, go back and listen to that show. Maybe listen to our Superman versus Amazing Spider-Man show that we uh, alluded to earlier in the program. Or uh, 
uh, even some of those X-Men books, if you like some of our X-Men talk just recently. All fantastic stuff. So make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe at any of those terrific places such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, YouTube, CastBox, Pandora, Amazon Podcasts, and a variety of other places. And while you are listening to our terrific podcast, you should make sure that you check out our website for merchandise. That's right. You can get some t-shirts, you can get some coffee mugs, get some can koozies, and uh, maybe boomerangs. Oh, we had to take those off the site. We were causing too many eye injuries. (laughs) We were liable for too much stuff. They kept coming back. They work too well. <laughs> I've never been able to get a boomerang to come back. I don't know. You guys ever tried that in real life? I I reckon it's uh, the boomerangs I've had aren't real boomerangs. That's what I say. It must not be a real one as it goes five feet and falls into the dirt. I did have, when I was growing up, those tri-nerf boomerangs, and they yeah. came back all the time. Those things were awesome. Right, yeah, no, I, I remember they had like three pegs on each side, and yeah, if you huck those things, man, they would. They'd come back in a hurry, dude. I don't know why real boomerangs don't look like those, because those actually work. That's Your setup comic shops you. might work for you. Uh, if you need one, you can always go to the Comic Shop Locator at www.comicshoplocator.com, where you could find a place that stocks things like the Superior Foes of Spider-Man, or that book that Andy talked about with the other ridiculous villains. Or the Inferno Saga, the J.A. was talking about. But support those local businesses that uh, keep the comic book industry afloat and make it so that we can remain the last comic shop podcast, but not actually the last comic shop. I bet you can find most of Inferno in the buck bin. There's some issues I guarantee you can't. Find me an issue of the Goblin War in a buck bin. That seems like something that would be hard to find because that's Todd McFarlane art. Yeah, the McFarlanes aren't there. And that was the introduction of Typhoid Mary was part of the Inferno crossover. So you're not going to find that one. But some of those X-Men ones you can. Some of those X-Factor, X-Men, they're out there. They're great issues. They have that Mark Silvestri art, the Walt Simonson art. There's really good stuff. Absolutely. And uh, until next week, when we talk about more really great stuff, I was the host with the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And remember to stay safe, stay sheltered. And remember when you want to tell your life story to somebody in a bar, make sure it's Peter Parker. Because he's the first person I would think that would go to a bar, even though he doesn't drink. He seems to spend a lot of time in these places. What is he doing there? Just listening to the jukebox? That's a good point. These guys drink a lot. There's there's a lot of scenes in bars, which raises the point you never see good guys drinking. Almost ever. Don't they go to cocktail lounges? Alright, two things. Number one, I thought the alcoholism was going to be your connection to Grace Under Fire. Two, there's a really great issue of Spider-Man where Boomerang takes him to a bar. It's Spider-Man trivia night and Peter Parker gets all the (laughs) cards. The last comic shop was a 2021 Black Angus production.